Chris Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu. Wind, 060 at 5. Seriously, it's Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Hazardous weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast. Connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we sit down with Tyler Lauer, former UND instructor and current Sun Country pilot. He'll talk to us about UND, revamping the Aerocast YouTube channel, and being an airline pilot. And as always, news and events from around the region with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into this episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. I should share the great joke I heard with you guys today. You ready? Hey, Jim. Sure. <laughs> what about my joke? I have a very good joke. You can, you can, what? now we, now we introed it. So you now can we've introed you... it. Okay. Why did the chicken cross the road? Get to the other side. No, to say hello to the idiot. Knock, knock. Who's there? The chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't actually think either of you is an idiot. It was just a funny joke. <laughs> Yeah, Trevor and I knew the punchline. I wasn't gonna say it. Cracked, it. Yeah, knock knock. I, I got someone good at work today. Oh, who's there? Oh, did you? The chicken. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, what acts of aviation have you committed? Um, the act of aviation of being frustrated that my plane is still not ready to go. Annual's done. That we're doing a run up and found a problem with the carburetor that we didn't find before. So, working on the carburetor that should actually be fixed and then we should be able to fly in theory tomorrow so by the time this podcast Yay! comes out hopefully i will have committed a real act of aviation and put my airplane in the air it is about time what am i going to get invited i have to make sure it actually flies first <laughs> that is smart i had a flat tire for the first time oh in you plane. need to tell us about that yeah please do i will tell you about that story time with maddie story time <laughs> so i was flying with a new in my new instrument student and he's just getting used to the plane and every and everything and I, honestly i am too you know these are different slightly different planes we're taxiing one of the runways was closed so um we were taxiing we were on a main taxiway and we're turning and all of a sudden it sh starts shaking and i was like whoa and like i i don't know why i yanked back on the nose on the on the elevator and it stopped and i'm like you know because sometimes you know the tires shimmy every once in a while it's whatever and then we, we came to a stop and I was like, okay, you can like go now. Like you can, I think we're like, we'll test it out. Like put in some power. And he, he did and nothing happened. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And you know, the engine's still running and everything. I don't want to like go and check. Cause I know that's a big no, no. So I was like, well, I, okay, well, I, I think we may have popped our nose tire. So I, I don't know how we literally just turned and it decided to throw a fit. 
So I called Tower. I, I actually asked him. I said, I think we blew our nose tire. We're on Taxi Way Alpha short of Romeo. Uh, what do you want us to do? <laughs> so I've never had that situation Stay happen five? before. It, well, yeah. And he said, okay, yeah, we'll we'll send over a tug from Yingling. They'll be there in a minute. Um, just stay put. You can shut down and everything. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I did. I knew I wasn't supposed to go get out of there. And I called my boss and he told me, yeah, stay in there until they're there. I was like, okay. So <laughs> it was fine. They were real, really, really nice. But we took the ops truck back. But the ops truck had to stay with the tug. And the tug went about five miles an hour maximum <laughs> and we kept losing the plane the plane kept evacuating itself from the little tray they put it on like a little roller thing with wheels i don't know what it's called but it was like a just the goofiest thing because every once in a while it's like oh yeah we're making progress well there goes the plane you know it's so like, you're supposed to keep the straps on it they didn't put straps on it to begin with and then they'd spent about five minutes attaching the straps and then we made our merry way all the way down to where the maintenance maintenance shop was. How much circus mm-hmm. music was playing when they were moving that plane around? In my head, a lot. <laughs> but we, my student and I were just kind of like sitting there in awkward silence because like, what else do you well, do? Right. I'm not going to discuss the events of the flight with these two random people we don't know while we're tugging the plane back. Yeah. Know, that's weird. So that was an adventure that I had. And now I can say that I have had a tire incident Yes, you can say that. I feel like some, that's something that happens like a lot to people, uh-huh. and it's never happened to me. So now it has. Other story time. I got to fly with one of my WSU tech students, my first organic check ride pass, my first free range check ride pass. Oh, cool. Um, so my second one, my second total, but the first one that I raised from scratch without antibiotics. Um, oh, good grief. <laughs> yeah, we flew. <laughs> it sounded like chickens to me. Anyway. I got to fly with him, and he got checked out in one of my boss's planes. So he can. And this by the time this goes out, it should have already happened. He's gonna be proposing to his girlfriend. That's cool. We're very excited. Yeah, I'm excited for him. I think that's adorable and cute. Um, Trevor, where are you at with the old hours, my friend? Over 700. I was doing the math because apparently I can apply for Endeavor, which I okay. did. So they wanted 700 hours or more. So I went and applied for Endeavor. Over the last 90 days, I put on 250 hours. <laughs> Over the last year, I put on 390 hours. That's more than I've built in the last year, and I'm an active instructor. <laughs> should we jump into news and stuff? Yes. I think we, we should. We really should. Read some news. Let's talk about uh, magma bodies, question mark. This will make sense in a second. So, South Dakota, we don't talk about them very much, but uh, we're talking about them now. The U.S. Geological Survey and scientists in South Dakota and neighboring states plan to conduct a low-flying study um, to map the region's crucial underground minerals, hazards, and, and this is a quote, magma bodies, question mark. So basically, the USGS announced um, this uh, this project relatively recently, I think the last week. Essentially, these researchers will collect geological data from from an airplane flying over parts of northwest Iowa, northeast Nebraska, southwest Minnesota, and southeast South Dakota, weather permitting, starting in mid-May. So that's the project will cover more than 105,000 square miles of land and is expected to be completed in about four to six months. So the data that they're collecting will be used to generate 3D models of this region in order to map where mineral and energy resources may exist. These include... um, 
different metals and alloys, and this will also look for cobalt and lithium, which are used in batteries. The survey also plans to map out ancient faults, these magma bodies, and other geologic features hidden beneath the Midwest region, as well as potential natural hazards, which is good to know. Uh, these planes will fly at relatively low altitudes, between 300 and 1,000 feet, along uh, pre-planned flight paths. As of last fall, the region was chosen for mapping because these areas are, quote, significantly undermapped as far as critical mineral commodities. So um, the data will be made available for public use and for use by state agencies to guide more detailed geologic mapping at local scales. Um, the airplane itself will be outfitted with instruments that measure variations in Earth's magnetic field and natural low-level radiation caused by different rock types, which is really cool, actually. This is part of the Biden administration's bipartisan infrastructure law, which has invested $3.2 million into this study. People are going to go look at rocks. I'd be more interested nice. looking at that airplane. I know. I want to see it. I want to see what kind of stuff they've got on it. Shall we head south? Let's head south, Trevor. Let's talk about Nebraska. So the Nebraska Department of Transportation has announced they have a new Division of Aeronautics Director, Jeremy Borrell. He's been in aviation for over 20 years. Uh, worked at both Jet Links Aviation and uh, Great Lakes Airlines. He had responsibility with fleet utilization, coordination, customer service, logistics. Jeremy is uniquely qualified to lead the division, having served a variety of positions that have provided a solid foundation of knowledge as to how aviation impacts Nebraska. Um, he brings a wealth of knowledge of all stages and aspects of the aviation industry to NDOT, as well as a proven track record of successful leadership. One of the biggest things that uh, Burrell brings to the table is that his vision for aviation is, is on point. He says aviation is incredible because it has wide-ranging impacts on our daily lives, connecting individuals and communities. And from the local to the international level, uh, Nebraska has a robust aviation industry and a passionate aviation community. So good luck, Mr. Director. He looks like a pretty squared away guy. Staying in Nebraska, um, seven airports within Nebraska win a $17.4 million series of grants. Airports in Ainsworth, Burwell, Norfolk, North Platte, Scottsbluff, Sydney, and Wayne are part of the uh, the second round of airport improvement program grants. Um, under the program, the FAA typically pays about 90% of the project's funding, and the local municipalities will pay 10%. Scotts Bluff in western uh, Nebraska is going to receive the single largest grant at $12.1 million to mail and resurface uh, runway 1230. Looks like there might be some disruptions uh, to air carrier service during that time. Um, Ainsworth received uh, half a million dollars. Sydney and Wayne, they both got uh, about $450,000. Airports in uh, Kearney and Grand Island and North Platte received grants about a million dollars for various projects. Now, one thing that was kind of interesting is that uh, over the next year, Omaha Airport Authority will launch a $600 million effort to modernize uh, Epley Field, which has not seen major changes in since the mid-1980s, which is kind of interesting. The schematics that they have in the uh, in the kind of drawings that they have make it a very interesting-looking little airport. Uh, if you're kind of interested in that sort of thing, go take a look at uh, the designs that they have in store. Are you guys taking pictures? On to the lovely state of Ohio. I say that with no vitriol whatsoever. Ow. That's what you get for mocking Ohio. Huh? Damn Skippy, that's what you get. Don't mock Ohio. You get hurt. 
Continuing, Ohio's governor has announced that the Ohio State Highway Patrol will be enhancing its aviation technology in order to improve air support to local law enforcement agencies. This is part of the Ohio Violent Crime Reduction Grant Program, which is allotting approximately $6 million in funding um, to be awarded to the Highway Patrol. Uh, the funding is specifically going towards improving their live streaming aviation technology. Uh, right now, this uh, this video streaming capability is limited to Columbus and Akron. Um, in other parts of Ohio, pilots must describe what they are seeing to those on the ground. Uh, so during dangerous and evolving situations, they say um, the flight crews have a bird's eye view of the scene below. But it's just important for on-site incident commanders to have this pers perspective as well. They want to extend it across the state so they can better support local law enforcement. This new equipment will be installed into existing multi-agency radio communication systems um, in order to establish communications between flight crews and ground teams. We're going to head northbound now up to Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, several groups of fifth graders were able to go on a field trip to the Bismarck Municipal Airport um, to see about the jobs that they have there. The Bismarck Aero Center hosted them, and they wanted to show them some of the career paths they could possibly take in aviation. So kids had the opportunity to talk with pilots who um, flew for the military, people who worked for game and fish surveillance, as well as uh, uh, pilots working for charters. Workers on the ground also kept these kids busy, showing them maintenance jobs, uh, TSA, and running the equipment to keep the runways clear. One of the um, air medical pilots spoke about how the children's faces just lit up when they were told they were able to crawl right into the, the cockpit. They were so excited about all the dials and switches that they didn't understand. And it, she said it sparked some intrigue in them. And that's really what a lot of these programs do. It's not to convince them to start flight training. It's just to plant the bug, plant that seed, because kids are like sponges. And, you know, if you expose them to something that may trigger that passion in them that they didn't know before. Because this was a one-time event, there are some opportunities, possibly in your area, that you might be able to explore. Right, Jim? There's all kinds of programs that are available for youth that are seeking to get involved in aviation. So I know in Minnesota alone, there are two chapters of Aviation Explorer posts. And I was able to sit down with one of these groups specifically at the Anoka County Blaine Airport a couple of weeks ago. And not just talk about aviation in general, but talk about some other avenues of interest in aviation, such as podcasting. So um, I talked to them for about, I don't know, an hour just about our podcast and what we hope to achieve and contribute to the aviation community. But the other cool thing is I, in showing them how a podcast works, I uh, wanted to interview them, not just to show them how a podcast works, but to learn more about their programs and share that with all of you. So should we play that? Absolutely. All right. Well, here's my interview with Kevin, Jamie, and Joe with, with Post 237 of Aviation Exploring. So I am with Kevin, Jamie, and Joe. We are at the Blaine Anoka County Airport, and we're going to talk about aviation exploring tonight. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. The end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can one of you tell me about what the aviation exploring program is about? Jamie, you're up. I decided. It's supposed to be a program for mostly high schoolers to explore different career paths in aviation. Okay. And how long have you guys been doing this? I think I joined in 10th grade in high school. Okay. I've been doing this for like, since this post has started in 237, uh, which is like three or four years ago, I believe. Okay. And I'm um, just adding on to what it's about. Uh, not only is it pilots, which is like a lot of people, when you think about aviation, you think, oh, you got to be an airline pilot. Yeah. Um, but it also explores a lot of the other routes in aviation, you know, air traffic control or maintenance, dispatch, 
anything related to aviation, even if it's like you don't think of it right away. It's all stuff that's aviation related. So it's exposing that kind of stuff and also exposing that like anybody can do it. It's not like a something that's hard to do. Anybody can get into it. So Joe, how long have you been in exploring? Um, since yeah, probably like three, four, three, four years. Um, okay. And I've been I've been into aviation a lot longer than that. Probably since I was like nine or ten. I'm eighteen now, so about eight years. Did you all know that you wanted to do something in aviation when you joined this program, or was your viewpoint changed towards a career in aviation because of the program? I'm going to start with you, Kevin. So I'm a freshman at Mankato State in the mechanical engineering program. Okay. Um, I've always liked aviation. My dad's a pilot. I joined Aviation Explorers, I think, three or so years ago, and I loved being able to understand what you can do in aviation, all sorts of different fields. Um, so, like, as a mechanical engineer, that allows me to go into aerospace engineering. Work oh, sure. Planes. I could, I mean, it, it opens up a lot of routes as an engineer, um, but still keeping that interest in aviation and Explorers kind of taught me all the avenues that I can pursue that. Okay. How about you, Jamie? I'm in the same boat as Kevin. I'm also a mechanical engineering student. I'm hoping to use engineering to either work in the aviation industry or use the money I get from that to fly around for fun. You're up, Joe. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, I'm still in high school. So I've always wanted to be an airline pilot, so I knew that coming into the Explorers. Although I still want to be that uh, airline pilot, I think it's really the tours that we've done, the experiences, the people that have come in and talk have kind of opened up kind of an appreciation for other uh, fields um in the industry like uh mechanics and atc and a bunch of other stuff and um just being around that uh like i said it's like a new appreciation and um also some more ideas if for some reason my medical goes bad or something it's definitely like some backup routes that i would consider now that i sure definitely probably wouldn't have considered before just because i didn't know about them and it's nice to be exposed to that as being part of this program what is the coolest experience that you've had let's start with you joe I think it'd have to be a tie. We went to pretty recently, actually, uh, I think about a month ago, we went to the uh, traffic control tower at uh, Minneapolis. Okay. Um, we got a tour like the Tracon and then up in the tower. That was a really cool experience. Uh, also, we did um, some other tours. Uh, we had to climb around a B-25 at CMP Aviation on the airport. And also just the uh, Aviation Explorer base at Oshkosh. It was just a really cool experience. There's a lot of different stuff at Oshkosh and you get some uh, unique, like, exclusive tours and that kind of stuff. All right, Jamie, how about you? Um, I'd say it's a tie between the tours of MSP Airport and flying up to Duluth um, to see the Sears Factory tour. Oh, now I'm jealous because I want to do that. <laughs> I haven't been in the Sears Factory yet. Maybe that's who I need to reach out to on this podcast. Sears, if you're listening, we want to come check out your facility. It might work. It might not. I don't know. How about you, Kevin? For sure, Aviation Exploration Base. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. The behind-the-scenes experience is awesome. I've been going to Oshkosh since I was a toddler. And so the last two summers and then planning on this summer as well, being uh, a volunteer there, getting the behind the scenes scoop, being able to help out a really cool experience. So for those not familiar with aviation exploring, what is the Explorer base at Oshkosh? Explorers from all over the country. We come and camp in tents in this little area we have uh, on the grounds of Oshkosh. I camp together and then during the day we have volunteering shifts to go help out and run air venture, uh, keep people safe, count planes, keep things organized, park planes. And then when we're not volunteering, we just get to explore. You also get a great tan or something. <laughs> I bet you do. One of the things that I, I like at Oshkosh is the behind the scenes tours that we get there. So okay. in 2019, I, I got to go up in the control tower and, and see that. So cool. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Then we also usually get a tour of the Air Force refueling plane they have. Okay. 
How do people find out about aviation exploring? What we do is we go to a lot of Young Eagle events and a lot of places where people that'd be looking to get into aviation in our local area would be. I also believe there's a website and you could probably look up your local EAA chapter. A lot of times they're kind of like interlinked. So I want to thank all three of you for sitting down to chat with me. What the people at home don't see is the room of people staring at you as we're doing this because this is part of a presentation I'm doing with your chapter. And I thought it'd be cool to ask you guys about your program and share it with others. So if there's other, you know, teens out there that are interested in aviation, they can find a way to get involved. So I appreciate you guys sitting down and talking to me. Yeah, thank you. It was really cool to hear from those kids, Jim. I have the opportunity, the pleasure of actually getting to volunteer in one of these explorer programs um, down here in Wichita. These teenagers will get to come to Aviation Academy and the surrounding area, and we will be doing tours of the maintenance facility that's near us. There's one for TSA. We're going to do one um, in the sim. We'll throw the kids in the sim for a little bit. So we have a lot planned. We're really excited to do that. And you can do it too. There is a lot of opportunity for volunteering and stuff. You know, it's not too much time out of your day and you want to volunteer. This would be a great opportunity. And the kids love it. Hey, would you like to know where to hear yeah. more information about aviation exploring? I sure would. So if you're interested in aviation exploring, whether you are a youth interested in aviation between sixth grade and 20 years old, or you are interested in volunteering, exploring.org forward slash aviation. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Thus concludes the news for this episode. Jim, please take it away for events. I would love to talk about some events. For our first event, join EAA Chapter 237 at the Anoka County Blaine Airport Saturday, June 3rd from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. for their annual Blaine Burger Bash fly-in. The event will be on the north part of the airport at the Atlantic FBO. There's no landing or ramp fees, and there's a $1 per gallon fuel discount if you attend. More information can be found at EAA Chapter 237. Up next, a vintage hangar dance at the Kelch Aviation Museum at the Broadhead Airport in Broadhead, Wisconsin. This event will be Saturday, June 10th at 6 p.m. They've teamed up with a local big band to bring you back to the time of 1940s for their first ever hangar dance. Tickets for the event will be $25 online or $30 at the door. The event features raffle prizes, a dance competition, snacks and drinks, vintage costume contests, an 18-piece big band, as well as vintage airplanes and automobiles on display. Next up, our friends at the Columbia Regional Airport are hosting their second Pounds for Pancakes fly-in. This event takes the traditional pancake breakfast at the local airport and turns it into a great cause for the community as well with a food drive. Last year, they collected over 500 pounds of food and enough cash donations to provide over 900 meals for families in mid-Missouri. Join them for a cup of coffee and a stack of pancakes and bring what you can to donate to local food shelves. Over to Wisconsin now, where over the weekend of June 16th, the Wausau Airport will host their Wings Over Wausau event. That event takes place on June 16th and 17th at the Wausau Downtown Airport. Admission to the event is $5 per person, and children under the age of 12 are free. The event includes an air show every day at 5 p.m. that will include the AeroShell Aerobatic Team, Airshow Performer Skip Stewart, Mike Vaknin, and Susan Dacey. Much more information on this event is available on the link in our show notes. And another big event the weekend of June 16th is the Columbus Air Show at the Rickenbacker International Airport. This event will feature the United States Navy Blue Angels, Stowell Air Racing, and a whole lot of static displays. Gates open for the event at 9 a.m. and close at 5 p.m. 
with the heaviest concentration of flying occurring between noon and 4 p.m. And that'll do it for our events. Before we jump into our interview for this episode with Tyler Lauer, I want to talk quickly about Lightspeed. I have the Lightspeed oh. Sierras. I do. I love you them. Like them. I've had that headset for probably a decade. It's held up the test of time. I am not easy on my gear sometimes, and that has it stood the test of time. And even uh, some of the parts that are on there that do show a little bit of wear and tear, like the uh, the foamy part on the earmuffs, those are easily replaceable. I've replaced those once already, as well as the uh, little foamy cover for the microphone. So, all right. So I'm, I'm just gonna throw this out there. If you haven't picked up what we're throwing down just yet, we are an affiliate of Lightspeed. I've been a big fan of their products for years, and um, I'm pretty humbled to get the opportunity from Lightspeed to be part of this affiliate program and tell others about the Lightspeed products and hopefully encourage others to look into those as well. So as far as the Delta Zulu, which is their newest headset, um, it has all kinds of cool features that you can personalize. They have a CO sensor that you can actually look at data on their Lightspeed app. You can also create a hearing profile. Um, you can record your radio conversations on the app and playback transmissions in case you've missed one of them. So all kinds of cool features that they have with that headset. If you are interested in a Lightspeed headset of your own, we will post a link to our affiliate page for Lightspeed Aviation in our show notes. This episode, we are happy to welcome Tyler Lauer, who was the brains behind the latest and greatest of the Windy Aerocast back during COVID times. While transitioning from being an instructor in the Aerocast to an airline pilot. At the moment, Tyler is now an airline pilot, but we are going to take a step back in time and talk about his revival of the UND Aerocast and his process in doing that and a bit about his story of his pilot journey. Welcome, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for... Uh... Coming back with us, I'll just explain right now because the audience doesn't know what we do. Um, this is our second attempt at this interview because of faulty editing and production on my part. So thank you for your patience with us and uh, for coming back on. Not a problem. Happy to be back. So are you ready to start off with our Fast Five questions? Let's go. Even right, faster. So, question number one. Favorite aviation YouTuber? No, I mean, TBM's a pretty... No. That's a pretty next level airplane. I didn't even think about that. Um you know, very uh -huh. fast, fast single-engine turboprop. Um, so it's you know not a not a not a big uh, popular GA per se airplane, um, but really good corporate bird. Or if you know got plenty of money and you want to go somewhere quick, that'd be a great airplane for it. So, what is the ugliest aircraft in your opinion? The ugliest aircraft. Um, honestly, I gotta say, I don't know what my answer was last time. This is great. Um, the uh, so the UAV that I flew for the Army, the MQ5 Bravo, uh, we referred to it as the majestic sand manatee. Uh, <laughs> it's just an ugly looking, <laughs> ugly looking airplane. It's a pusher polar, you know, built in the 1980s. Just a real, real piece of work. Now I'm gonna have to go look for a picture of that one. Oh yeah, that is ugly. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, it's really ugly. Maybe that's it's take a take a Skymaster and pull all the redeeming qualities off of okay. it. Let's make that the episode thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> all right, question number yeah. three: uh, favorite air show or fly-in venue? I think the Duluth Air Show because it combines several of my favorite things: 
uh, obviously airplanes being number one. Uh, Duluth is a, a favorite location for my wife to go to. That's where she went to school, so um, we kind of have a soft spot in our hearts for uh, for Duluth. So, and they always have like big name people there, which is which is great. That will segue us into question number four, which is, who is your favorite air show performer? So I was out pheasant hunting in South Dakota, um, and we oftentimes have guests out there. One of these nice, just nice lady, very down to earth, would have never guessed who she was. Been hunt, pheasant hunting with her all day. We sit down, we start having dinner, we start chatting about what I do, and this is when I was flight instructing at UND, and she very nonchalantly brings up that she was the third female pilot ever hired by Delta, and that she has crashed a few of Jack Roush's airplanes, um, which is something you don't expect people to say to you. Um, and I proceeded to learn that this was Connie Bolin. Um, at the time, she was the president of the EAA Warbirds and does a lot of the, the Warbird flying that you see you know, at Oshkosh, and you know, she flies those with the F5, the Northrop Grumman, the Tiger, and she flies the Mustangs, and just super cool person, super humble. Yeah, just amazing. So she's my favorite air show performer. And there you were, just hunting with her. Our, our final question for you is, yeah. if you could meet anyone in aviation, dead or alive, and have a conversation with them, who would it be? Bob Hoover. Bob Hoover. Down. The next level mindset of that guy, especially when it comes to energy management. When I flight instruct, I harp on energy management. Because as soon as you can figure that out, um, flying becomes very easy. And it's a concept that transitions from a 150 up to... You know, 747. Um, if you understand energy management and you can su- successfully navigate it, man, it's it, it gets to be really fun. So uh, I would love to sit down and just chat with him about how he came about that that mindset. And then being like, I should try this in a aero commander and feather both engines and do loops and stuff. So <laughs> that would have been one of those things where it's like, I think I could do that. Yeah, I can and then that. he went and did it. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's more like, yeah, I can do that. Can do yeah, that. this is Bob Hoover we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it was never like a, <laughs> well, maybe. Well, thanks so much for playing along with the Fast Five questions. Yeah. All so, right. Tell us a little bit about your background in aviation and what led you down this path. It all, I mean, when I was a kid, <laughs> we'd find ourselves, you know, at the Denver airport and I'd be just oohing and on over all the airplanes and so that was my earliest memory of like airplanes are cool and then when i was joining the army i was kind of heart set on uh military police and then my recruiter was like well you know you you tested high enough on all the standardized testing that you know there's a bunch of other stuff that you can do and one of these cool jobs is uav operator my dad worked for lockheed martin and kind of knew what sort of options and doors would be open for me. And he said, you know, son, do, do what you're going to do. You know, if you want to be a military police officer and you want to go into law enforcement, do that. You know, I'll be just as proud of you. But he's like, you kind of have a, an itch for aviation and you, I was playing flights them on the computer all the time. And he's like, this would be a great way to get your, your foot in the door. And, um, it's going to open a lot of doors for you down the road. And so I took my father's advice. And that night I joined the army to be a 15 whiskey, um, unmanned air vehicle operator. You know, the rest was kind of history. I, I just really dove head first into it and, um, tested really well in the army and, you know, got onto the MQ-5 Bravo platform, which was an upgrade platform, you know, deployed with the army, got hired by Northrop to do that. That's where I got into teaching, um, was an instructor with Northrop and then, you know, ultimately went to university of North Dakota, used my GI bill well to pay for flight school. And, you know, that was the first time I really got into the manned side of aviation, actually sitting in the cockpit and, and flying and 
I thought I had dove headfirst into it when I got in the army, but when I went to school and started getting in the airplanes, I just, just couldn't stop. I, I really got going and yeah, flight instructed for three years up at the university, got my bachelor's degree in um, commercial aviation fixed wing. I was a lead flight instructor up there and, and then, you know, ultimately decided to make the jump into the airlines and um, now on my second airline, I flew for SkyWest and now I'm flying for Sun Country. So it's been a fun 12 years and that's awesome. More. <laughs> so talk to us a bit about yeah. the UND program. Um, how did you end up picking that program? Yeah. So I was looking at flight schools. I knew I wanted to, to get into aviation and, and fly man stuff. Um, in the army, I was kind of at a crossroads where I could re-up, um, you know, re-enlist. And then I was, if I was going to stay, I was going to drop a warrant officer packet, which is the main flyers for the army. I didn't really want to fly helicopters. I still don't. So I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. Uh -huh. I was talking to uh -huh. my company commander at the time, the unit that I was a part of, we were an aviation unit and all of the officers and warrant officers were RC-12, MC-12, Liberty pilots. So they're all King Air pilots for the army. And so my company commander, he was like, you know, if you want to fly fixed wing, I would say your two options are get out and go to college and join the air force or get out, go to college and fly for the airlines. Like that's, those are kind of your options, <laughs> but he's sure. like, the army, it's, it's, it's a really, mm -hmm. it's, it's tough to get into the fixed wing because the army's not known for fixed wing. Right. He was the first one to kind of, you know, you should look at civilian flight school. That's, that's going to be your, your direct entry, get into it, you know, guaranteed fixed wing. And so he sent me in the direction of Embry Riddle, which is where he went. And then I started looking to something closer to home because I'm from Minnesota. And I was like, well, I don't want to be across the country. Started looking, I found Grand Forks and I was like, oh, that's a cool flight school. And then Northrop Grumman called me and was like, do you want to deploy with us and make a bunch of money? And I was like, I would love to do that. <laughs> so I went down range and down there was a really close buddy of mine named Rob Gale. And he was a former flight instructor. And when you know economy went down the hill, um, he got on with UAV stuff to deploy to, you know, basically pay his bills and, and make money. But I came into work one day and he was just hounding me of like, you got to get out of the deployment cycle. You got to go to school, like get out of this, get, get away, go. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. And came to work one day and, and because we had access to everybody's like personal information, he had basically filled up my entire application for me for oh, UND geez. and was like, you just got to finish it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was like, you just got to finish it and submit it. And I was like, okay. So I submitted it and like, you know, 10 hours later, I got the you're in email and I was like, oh, wow, I guess I'm going to college in the fall. So, cool. um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. And I had, I had mentioned him UND and, and that it, from everything you see, it's, it's a very well-organized, uh, program and, you know, just at, at first glimpse, you know, it looks like a great place to go to school. So having gone to UND now, it is, a, it's a, it's a very highly established program from the ground level up to the, the highest, you know, the highest training level. And then as a veteran, it was huge because the University of North Dakota is very GI Bill friendly. Oh, okay. Um, they have a whole veterans office and they have several full-time employees there that do counseling and they help you with VA funding and, you know, just really, really good place to go. So, uh, so Tyler, um, could you talk to a little bit about your advancement through the UND program that how that kind of looked for you? Yeah. So I was... Uh, Came in with, you know, basically zero flight time to my name. Um, and so I, I really did the whole, you know, zero to hero version of the program. Um, started in the fall of 2016. Um, and you start in AVIT 102, which is their private pilot ground school um, and flight lab. And that's a five credit ground course. You know, you're going through everything, which is, which is uh, very intensive. 
And then on top of that, you register for a three day a week flight lab, which is a three hour chunk of time out of your day for the flight lab. And then you're assigned a flight instructor and you go fly. So I started 2016 and because I did the deployment with Northrop and I was able to tuck you know quite a bit of money away, I was lucky I didn't have to work while I was going to school. Um, the VA was also writing me a check for BAH, which was great. So I had my housing covered. I could just focus on school. So I was able to get through the entire program in three years flat, all the way through CFII and one more extra flight course that they do, which is called 480. And it's a, a jet transition course, basically. It's it, like I said, it's a very intensive program, but it's it's you know it's all inclusive. And then the progression is is the same that you would have even if you were doing this part 61, where you get your private pilot certificate, then you start transitioning to instrument training, take your instrument check ride into single engine commercial, take your single engine commercial check ride, multi-engine commercial, CFI, CFII, and then you can elect to do the MEI. You know, there's there's a college course for everything uh, along the way. So, so how did you get involved with the Aerocast side of things as UND? At the time, I was working. My direct supervisor, um, gentleman by the name of Cody Stafford, he's still up there as an assistant chief. He was kind of a he liked doing media stuff. He likes video editing, and he was my direct supervisor. And we had been kind of kick around the idea of revitalizing the Aerocast. And I was a uh, a stage check pilot up there, so I did check rides of basically all natures. I kind of had this idea of, you know, I've, I've done a lot of check rides. I'm seeing very common weak areas that are very frustrating to me. I don't want to take any of the, the responsibility away from the flight instructor, but when we're seeing as an organization, we're seeing common weak areas, it should be our job as the administrators to squash that and provide, you know, the information we want to see. So sure. I was like, man, I, I'd like to start making some training videos, but no knock against the Aerocast videos. Because I know the gentleman that did that stuff, and it's great work. But the the modern day college student doesn't want to sit down and watch a twenty five minute video on how to do a steep turn. They want a three minute. Here's how you do it. You know, here's here's how you don't screw it up. Really, and I I found a need for that, and so I kind of pitched the idea, and I wrote a couple of scripts, and we you know kind of kicked it around and kicked it around with the chief pilot, and finally um, the chief pilot was like, "Go for it, have fun, guys," and we started making those videos. I'll fully admit I used on my commercial, I used um, your guys' production on, was it Lazy 8s and Shandells? Um, I think even the Power Off 180s. Awesome. Which is, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we wanted to have you back here. Because what you guys did in production is you simplified everything. Easy to understand, easy to digest. And that was that was our goal. It's, I'm really glad to see people outside of you and you're using them. Uh, my sim partner... Um, he's actually a, a friend of mine and he told me, he was like, dude, I was, I was using your videos when I was doing my, you know, my commercial and my instrument stuff. And then I, one of my very close army buddies out in Las Vegas, he's flight instructing out there. And, um, he had a kid try to take him off a runway, uh, on a crosswind takeoff cause he dragged his toe and, you know, my buddy was kind of beating himself about it. And I go, Hey, I made a whole video on proper foot position. <laughs> Why don't you have the kid watch it and go over it with them? And it, now he can see you know, during takeoff, my heels should be here and my toes shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, and, and just kind of show him that. And and now he's using those videos for, for his own students. And I think that's, I think it's great. I think you brought up a really good point too, that I mean, I also looked at the UND videos when I was doing my commercial work. As I've started working on the CFI stuff, and maybe Maddie can speak to it too, but some of the discussions we've had is that you can do all this instruction stuff, but they're still going to go out and find YouTube. And it's just a matter of pointing people in the right direction mm -hmm of what quality content to go to. Yep. And I think UND does a really good job of putting things together. So that's certainly going to be in my toolbox. Yeah. 
I have a list of that I give to all my students of the YouTube people that I am allowing them to watch. It sounds very yep. silly, but so far the only the only ones I there's been one who has ignored me and he's come to me and started doing things and I'm like I didn't teach you that. Trevor Jacob. Nobody did. I sent you <laughs> to nope. taught you that. <laughs> and so I'm like, you need to stop watching whomever you're watching. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> you know. But otherwise, you know, yeah. at least giving them the option because I, you know, I interviewed each one of my students and I at a, at one point I had like 18 and each one of them said when I asked them what kind of learner they were, they like they said, I like to watch videos, which is very, very common. And I think you knew that going Great. into Aerocast. Yeah. And how valuable of a tool yeah. it can be in the right hands. Yeah. And as a flight instructor, there's there's nothing worse than being like, you know, you ask a question, you get an answer, you go, where did you learn this? And they go, well, I, I heard it from a, a buddy of mine who heard it from his yeah. friend's flight instructor. You're like, this isn't this isn't the telephone game, dude. This That's not how this works. And yeah. so, you know, when I'm making those videos and I was writing the scripts, the only references I used were FAA references. Because when it came back to the whole reason I was doing this as an examiner, that's the only thing we examine you on is FAA references. I'm not asking you what so-and-so said on that YouTube video one time about gyroscopic precession. I, I want to know what the FAA has given you, you know, what they say about it. If you're doing it correctly and you're utilizing the proper resources, yeah, it makes it a home run for these kids. I like too what you said about the you made these videos in mind of this isn't to replace the flight instructor. This is to augment the things that you guys were seeing as issues that, I mean, frankly, there are probably issues across yeah. check rides everywhere. hundred um, percent. And it's some of the videos where you just go into the ACS and look at the ACS will tell you, here's the weak areas. Like, yeah. It tell, and So it's like, oh, we'll just cover some of these. The FAA has identified them as weak areas <laughs> for a reason. So, um, but you know, if, you know, in a given semester, I probably did, 20 private pilot check rides. Well, I'm going to get a pretty good grasp if there's 300 kids in the program and I do two, you know, 20 check rides. Okay. Well, I'm going to get a, you know, 8% of them and I'm going to see pretty good, you know, what, what the population's doing and, and, and if we can adjust our teaching for that. What was the process like creating that content? Um, I would say a, a typical video, especially the beginning, it was kind of what's next, you know, what are we seeing on check rides? Um, we started, pulling in other stage check pilots. We had a whole standardization department at UND of, of, it was a department of just check pilots. That's all these, all these, these, uh, instructors did. We started pulling them and pulling other assistant chiefs and ground school instructors and, and pulling a whole list. So we, we had a whole whiteboard of probably 40 videos, uh, or more. And we would just pick a video, kind of dissect what we felt were the, the weak areas on, you know, insert topic chandels. I had done some tech writing for the army and for Northrop and as a, a freelance uh, technical writer. And so I kind of had an ability to just crank out information, you know, crank out scripts. Um, and so I would just hammer away, you know, I'd write out a script of, you know, five, six, seven pages, just kind of word vomit. And then we would, I would compress it down into um, what felt like, you know, a, a three minute video, or usually it was about two and a half minutes with the intro and the outro. Once we had the script down, then Cody and I would go into the, to the office and we'd start you know, laying down video, you know, making basically the, the audio, you know, we had mics and everything. It worked out great. And that would take me several takes per sentence. Um, cause I wasn't <laughs> going to memorize all this. So I tip, we had a, I put my iPad up in front of me and, you know, we'd, we'd rip it out. So it'd probably take us about an hour to get out, you know, the, the videoing. And then, 
Um, I don't have very good like artistic ability and editing ability. And that's where Cody came in. And uh, once I did my job and I'd send him, you know, pictures that I would use for my training outlines and stuff. And, and then he would just go to work on editing. And I think at the beginning it was taking about 20 hours to make a video. Wow. Um, but we were new at it, you know, yeah, just, for sure. you know, it was just new to the program, new to the software, new to the recording, you know, oh, oh, I forgot to hit record that time, you know, just that type of stuff. At the end, it was between eight and nine hours per three minute video was about what we would do it. We could do one in about two work days. We can hammer it out. Okay. And it's, um, you know, you, you probably know, it's just a majority of it is just editing. Um, yes. That can just be a rabbit hole in and of itself. <laughs> yes. And then when you're starting to starting to layer, you know, audio over visual and putting graphics in and tech, it just yeah, it gets it gets pretty crazy. Yeah, that's the biggest reason this is audio only. I looked at doing video stuff for about yep. five minutes. I'm like, nope. Well, we tried doing live and a few other Hard things, pass. and it's like, yeah, no, no. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. So, what advice would you have for someone who's starting out in aviation? You need to be ready to commit. You got to be ready to just dive into it and take it wholeheartedly. And then from an academic studying standpoint, go to the source. Uh, the FAA has made it fairly easy to, to find the information. You look at, if you Google private pilot ACS, you pull it up and you look at any given task within the ACS, there's going to be a blue hyperlink to the references that that task is using. And you can just click on it. It'll take you to the pilot handbook aeronautical knowledge or the instrument flying handbook or the procedures guide or wherever it's going to take you you can go bloop and it's going to take you right there and then all you have to go do is now find you know steep turns in the airplane flying handbook or whatever so use the the faa resources use the resources that the faa will be testing you um there's all sorts of great study guides out there and and you know that people have made and and those are great if, if it's a vetted flight instructor that you trust for sure go for it but when it comes down to it um, the FAA is testing you on FAA stuff. Ooh, I have a question. Maddie has a question. What was your, what was your favorite uh, three minute Thursday to film That's a good or one. just produce? So the foot position one was the first one we made. Um, so that one was that was a that one's pretty memorable. I also really liked the Chandel. Um, cause that was one of the first ones we actually went and flew. We actually got in the airplane and, and that was really fun to like go to the chief pilot and be like, can we get an airplane for a few hours for filming? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> just like cut us a dispatch slip. And he's like, yeah, go for it. Here you go. And so, but that was cool. Cause as a flight instructor, you very rarely get to fly for you. You very rarely get to just jump in an airplane and go have fun. You're always teaching. There's always a purpose to it. And so that was like one of, I had been flight instructing for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years at this point. And, you know, sometimes you do currency flights and you just grab an airplane, you go do, you know, you hammer out three patterns. But that was the first time I just got an airplane. I didn't have to teach anything. I could just like go out and, you know, fly around. And yeah, we were doing performance maneuvers and stuff like that. But it was fun to be like, I don't have to teach this. I can just, I just go fly, you know, just get an airplane and go have a good time. Um, so the Chandel's one was the first one. Um, and in that, I think we filmed for like Chandel's and lazy eights and, you know, a couple other of, you know, the, in airplane filming that we did. So, um, so those were probably some of my, my favorite ones. You guys ready? I mean, I'm ready. Oh, I'm always ready. Tyler, the question is, are, are you ready for, um, our most fun I'm... question that we ask? 
I'm almost nervous though. Excited you guys are. <laughs> well, this is like our favorite part because it's always kind of a hot take to see what happens. So it's that time of our episode. Yeah. Um, Tyler, what is your unpopular aviation opinion? I think that automation and glass panels are killing uh, quality pilots. Um, Thank you. I wish that private pilot training was was done in a Piper Cub with uh, with the least amount of instruments in it, so that you had to develop true ability, just true Stick raw ability skills. to fly the airplane. Stick and rudder, look outside. I, I loved even on cross countries, just blacking out the G one thousand. Because you can you can actually in the panel you can go in in the menu button and, and turn it turn the screen basically off you can black it out and just be like and just make them fly up the standby and be like find your next checkpoint and start a timer like the timer still works on the MFD you know and figure out where you're going like just look out there the whole world is there's a whole realm of responsibility in front of you and you're not participating in it at all by staring at the panel so um, that's why I wish private pilot training in particular was done in a 1943 cub <laughs> with nothing in it and just learn to be a pilot. I tried to simulate that as much as possible. Actually, the first student I sent for a cross-country stage check, he was so dead on. He like he was adamant about using like the paper and doing all that stuff. He didn't touch his iPad for it and everything. It was great. I was really proud of him. And he went out with my boss for the stage check. Um, and he... Like, he didn't want to use the GPS. He's just like, I know I'm going that way. I'm like, yeah, and they did, like, the it. GPS Direct 2 to see how close he was. It was, like, within a degree. I was like, yeah. yes. I'm so proud. I ended up teaching a Japanese conversion course at the University of North Dakota. A couple years back, we sent a handful of our assistant chief pilots over to Japan. And they went through the Japanese, basically Japanese DPE and got certified as Japanese DPEs. So they can come back here and Tokai Airlines, they send their students over to UND for their entire undergrad. And then we have the authority to do a 500 level multi-engine course with them. It's called 510 and 515. One's a BFR course, one's an IFR course. And then at the end of those courses, they issue their Japanese commercial and their Japanese instrument certificate. So they can go back and start flying for the airlines. Huge. They do this in the Seminole. It's a multi-engine course. They are not allowed to use the GPS. They're not allowed to use autopilot. It's all hand flown. And then you go into the G1000 settings and you turn off all the ground track, all the wind data, everything. And these kids have to do long cross countries and they're calculating winds aloft, true airspeed, ground speed, everything. They're back calculating everything. And they're hitting their checkpoints within 15 seconds over 60 miles. I mean, they're just incredible accuracy. And so it was just to see that high level of, of learning and understanding. And I mean, these, these kids were great pilots, amazing students. Um, and that was where I was like, man, we should be doing this. Like, what? <laughs> these kids understand flying. Well, thank you. unless you got anything else, I think that's all we got for you, Tyler. Yeah. It's great to be back. Hopefully this time is more successful yeah, than the last. Yeah, this time we'll actually save the audio <laughs> so we can make it into a podcast. <laughs> Good. Very good. And we, we really do appreciate you coming back. I know that uh, I felt terrible when we deleted it. and Well, when, not we. I. Yep. Yep. There was, we there was no we. It was me. Um, we. But, Looking uh, at you, Maddie. Yeah, Maddie. 
Um, <laughs> no, but I really appreciate you coming back, and it, it really means a lot that you were uh, willing yeah. to play along again. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good time. Like I said last time, this is just you get to sit and talk about airplanes for an hour. Who who doesn't want to yeah, do this? Right, right. <laughs> I don't want to do that. You're a liar, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> after after the day I found, yeah. So thanks again to Tyler for coming onto the Flying Midwest podcast and talking to us a little bit about his involvement with UND Aerocast. So what do we got coming up next time, Trevor? So Erica Armstrong, she's a well-known author for A Chick in the Cockpit. She's basically a revolutionary pilot um, bringing up females into what is a very male-dominated industry. She's got a lot of personality. She's got a lot of commentary. So we're excited for you guys to listen to what she has to say with us. And she got started in aviation right at the Flying Cloud Airport. Did she really? She did. Yeah. I've followed her Facebook for a long time, and she's very entertaining and has very insightful about a lot of different issues. And she's opinionated, and I like that. Yeah, she's got a good social media presence, so uh, we'll be excited to bring her on the podcast on our next episode. Air Show and Flying Season is here. Represent your favorite podcasts with some of our t-shirts. Or tank tops. Or hats. We have those now. I'm going to get a hat. Sometimes a sweatshirt is warranted. We have those as well. They're pretty cool. Go check them out. We have them in virtually every color you could ever want. In case you need the link again, it's flymidwest.com forward slash If you want to get a hold of us, flyingmidwestpodcast at gmail.com. Or maybe any of our social medias. That too. If you or you know somebody who would like to be on the podcast, please give us a shout. We would love to speak with you. Yeah, we're pretty chatty. Yeah, we'll talk to just about anybody. If it's about airplanes, we are good. I concur. So until next time. See ya. See ya. See ya. That's how you make a podcast, Maddie. Oh. Wow. 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 Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest Podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day. All right, I'm sorry. I'll carry on with your introduction, Trevor. I'm sorry. Well, I, I was kind of hoping that we would start the introduction, then you'd tell the joke and it would roll right in. To... Oh, so I screwed it up? Yep. Damn it. Yep. Well, can, oh, what what acts of aviation have been? Com- I can't talk. Well, it's ten oh five, so <laughs> yeah. We're after a great Frankly, start. Frankly, the guys. fact that I'm awake is a miracle. There was a really nice Cherokee 180 sitting on the ramp the other day, mm-hmm. yesterday. I don't know what day it is, and I was like, kind of drooling over it. Usually, <laughs> GA planes don't get parked by us. Jim, they they park elsewhere. Huh. But that's really really noisy. And your bag French. too. French. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take it away, oh, Maddie. 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 You say it like that, jeez. Madison. No, we're done with that. No, we're done. Madeline. <laughs> no. Matilda. That Matilda. That's not the worst thing I've ever been called. All right. Go, Maddie. I know. Jeez, give me a sec. Everybody's on my ass tonight. Don't please don't include that. I just felt that I like I needed to. Let's go, Maddie.
Bismarck Municipal Airport. See, this is this is the kind of research. Automated do, weather right? observation. Sorry. <laughs> One, two, five, three, Zulu. I'm simply a volunteer. You volunteers tribute. It is 10:45. My brain has left the building. Matt, do you remember? What's up? Or are... to talk about it. Are you talking yeah. to me? Your name is Maddie. I didn't hear you. Yeah, I said Maddie. I heard. I heard. <laughs> I heard everything but my name. Okay, I didn't know if you were talking to Trevor. Maddie was the first thing I said, and then I said all those other things that you did hear. Anyway, I can't use it as well. That's also on my list. Don't don't get mad at me. <laughs> Make sure that's in there, Jim. Yeah, it's in the book. It'll go in the bloopers. It's a point of embarrassment. Trust me. That could be that could be under her name tag if you ever go to a live show. It could be like Maddie can't use a whiz wheel. <laughs> I feel I like she that's what said. she said, but don't quote me on that. I I make a lot of mistakes. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> feel free to use that in the bloopers, Jim. Okay, I will. I think that's a good idea because Trevor has to fly too. Trevor's going to try to put on twelve hours tomorrow. Trevor's referring to himself in the third person. I hope you can do something with all this awkward silence, Jim. I, I will. I see the, the little blocks because it's just a straight line. It's like flatlined, which is where the attitude of this podcast is going. We've just flatlined and we're just done. So, no, we're done with that. No, we're done. <laughs> <laughs>